0: So last week we finished up our very long series in 1 Peter, and so we're kind of in this this uh, this transition period where we're not yet into our next series that we'll be diving into, uh, and so we're kind of right here on a on a Sunday, and it's a standalone sermon uh, this morning. I don't like having my keys in my pocket, so sorry. There we go. Okay, didn't realize that. Okay. And, um, and so, what, we're, what I want to do is I want to consider what was life like immediately after the resurrection. Just What was post-resurrection life? We, we have a long account of what life was like immediately after the resurrection in Luke 24. So, Luke 24, the whole chapter, Luke 24, is this, this long narrative of what happened immediately after the resurrection. And so that's where I want to sit this morning. I want to do a little different, though. We're not going to put these, this, this passage, this whole chapter up on the screen. Okay, So I'm just going to invite you to read along with me. So you have Bibles in front of your pew. You may have the Bible on your phone. That's often how I read the Scriptures. Um, is, so you just pull up uh, Luke 24, open the Bible there, uh, or just listen. I mean, it's fine to just listen, too. But Luke 24, so what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to walk through this passage, I'm just going to read, we're just going to read through the passage, and along the way we're going to take some strategic stops, some strategic pauses, and I want to uh, um, uh, bring forward some insights, some reflections on that part of the passage, and I think what you and I are going to find is some application that, that will hit us right where we live, all right? And there are some insights here in this chapter I had never seen before. Never seen before until I sat with this passage for a while. I am sure other scholars have written about it. I've just never read those scholars. But there is a pattern in this chapter that has something to say to you and to me this morning. Luke 24. We'll pick up with verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the uh, the stone rolled away from the tomb. He was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. There's pause right there. So the end of verse eight ends with the word words. And what strikes me in those first eight verses is how important words are. So if you just picture the scene, you have these two women showing up. And what do they see? They see Jesus' body is gone. And they can't understand. So by their own power, they see something. But then they also see two angels appear. And those angels then say something. They say something. They say He is risen. In seeing... The lack of a body, they don't understand, but then the angels speak. They declare a message, and now the women understand. And what do the angels say? They say, Jesus said something. So not only do the angels say, He is risen, then they say, Jesus said. And then the passage there at verse 8 ends by Luke recording that then the women remember what Jesus said. Luke wants to highlight that the key here is what is said, not what is seen. And I want you to get this insight here. Never, know, never even hit me. May hit you long ago. Just never hit me until this week. Here's the insight. I want to, we're going to put the insights up on the screen. The resurrection was not first displayed, but declared. The resurrection was not first displayed, but declared. The women see there's no body, but they're wondering, what does that mean? And it could have meant many things. Someone took the body, maybe he wasn't really dead, and he got up and he left. I mean, what does it mean that there's no body? The resurrection was then declared. And right here in this passage, we see a pattern that's going to be woven throughout the chapter. There will be an interplay between what is seen, and what is heard, what is spoken. Let's pay attention to how all that plays out. Let's go on. Verse 9. So when they, that's the women, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jane, and uh, others with them who told this to the apostles but they, that is the apostles, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Again, you see, you see the interplay. You see the contrast. So what do the women do? The women go. By the way, this is the first The first human beings who ever declare the resurrection are women. And the women go and declare to the apostles, he is risen. They go and tell them something. The disciples don't believe their words. They have to go see it. They got to go lean in on their strength. Well, Peter runs to the tomb and what does he do? He sees strips of linen. So he sees there's no body. And yet, he can't understand. So Peter leans in on his strength. He can't understand. And in the meantime, he won't believe the message. He hears and doesn't believe. He sees and he has no idea what's going on. All right. Big insight here. We'll put it up on the screen. Seeing does not equal automatic faith. This is such a big point we got to make here. Because so often we think, right, we think to ourselves, if I could just see God do something, if God would just show up in front of me, then I would believe. Peter runs to the tomb. He sees there is no body. He has just been told that he is risen. He sees there's no body there. There, Jesus' corpse is gone, and yet he still doesn't believe. Yet he's been given a reason for why it's not there. But he's leaning in on his sight, and his sight doesn't take him to a place of faith. Man, we, we, we believe we would believe a lot more if we could just see it. What Luke here is weaving into the story is that's just not the case. The people who see aren't the ones understanding. It's the ones who hear and believe. It's the word that has the power here. Let's keep going. Pick up verse 13. Verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. We don't know which two. We just know two of the disciples are walking to Emmaus. Here we go. Now, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and they discussed these things with each other. While they were doing that, Jesus himself came up, walked along with them. But it's this next verse. But they were kept. From recognizing him. Interesting. So here you have two of the disciples. They're on the road to Emmaus. And what happens? Jesus shows up. Resurrected Jesus shows up. You ever wanted Jesus to show up? If only Jesus was right here in front of me. Well, Jesus was right here in front of them. Walking right alongside them. And what happens? Nothing. They don't recognize him. So as, as I'm numbering it, this is the third time people have seen something and they've not understood what's going on. The women, they come, they see no corpse in the tomb, they have no idea. Peter runs to the tomb, sees strips of linen, no corpse, has no idea. And now the resurrected Jesus himself is walking alongside these two disciples and verse 16, they did not recognize him. For all of our trust in our eyesight... It sure is failing in these three moments. So we're going to put up the insight. Seeing does not equal automatic faith. There's something more powerful than seeing that grows faith. This is really counterintuitive because all of us think if we would just see Jesus, everything would be fine. If he would just do some miraculous healing or he would part the Red Sea just one more time, well, then we would finally all believe. Just isn't the case. Here, the resurrected Jesus is walking, and yet they do not recognize him. All right. Let's keep let's keep keep coming along on the on the journey. Verse 17. This is Jesus. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them, named Clopas asked them, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death. And, well, they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb uh, early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us. That they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Okay. I hope you're, wa- you're, watching, you're watching the interplay happen. You're watching the weaving of these two contrasts as the story goes along. So here are these disciples. We had women. They went, they were told, he is alive. But then we went to go see it, and we didn't see Jesus. The women said he was alive. But but that didn't have the power. Not for them at that moment. We had to go see it. They had to go live into their strength. They were going to do this their way. So they go to the tomb, and they didn't see Jesus. And what's implied there is because we didn't see Jesus, then he must not be alive. If he, if he doesn't appear like we want him to appear, then he just must not be there. If we can't see him, then it just must not be true. Here's the insight. It's just, it's just like moving us right to this big one. But here's this next one. Seeing does not mean automatic faith. I think that's very clear at this point. There's something more powerful than sight that grows faith, and that something is God's word. You've got to see what happens next. That thing, that powerful thing that will actually grow faith, it's God's word. It's not your eyesight. We fool ourselves if we think we could just see our way into believing. We can see a lot of things, but if you don't understand it, no faith will grow. It is God's word. you got to see what Jesus does next. Here it is. Verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Do you see that? All the prophets. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day's almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. We'll stop right there. Here, P, here, here, Luke, as he's writing the story, he's drawing it to a point. These disciples, these same disciples who heard that He was risen but did not believe, ran to the tomb, see that Jesus isn't there, so He must not be alive. These disciples, these foolish disciples, who are walking right next to Jesus, well now Jesus is going to going to help them see that he is risen and how's he going to do it? Does he just like become this beaming light? No. Does he finally say, listen, guys, I'm the resurrected one. Like I'm Jesus. No. What does he do? He takes them to scripture and he opens the scripture and it's through the word that they see him for who he is. So here's the insight. Well, I'm going to say it this way. Jesus points to the scriptures to reveal himself as the resurrected Messiah. It's through the power of God's word that the blind disciples finally come to faith. You and I just think that if, we, if Jesus would just show up, he would just show up, like stand right here, I would get it. I'd be at church every Sunday. I'd never sin again, like I would believe. No, it's not that easy. Jesus literally was standing right next to them. And he could have done any number of things to reveal himself as the resurrected Christ. But he takes them to Scripture. And it's by opening the Scriptures that they see clearly. It's the Word of God that bursts faith. If it wasn't the case, why take them through the Psalms? Why take them through the prophets? Why take them through the Pentateuch? The writings of Moses. But Jesus takes them through the Hebrew Bible so they will see him clearly. Did you see the pattern? The pattern is here that seeing does not mean automatic faith. There's something else that grows faith. So along the way, what you're going to see, at least what we've seen is, the disciples see something, but they don't believe. But then finally, the word of God is opened, and they come to believe. And this is happening here at this point with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So let's see what happens now when he shows up. In front of all the disciples, here we go. Pick up verse. We're gonna we're gonna pick up with verse 33. Then we'll move on. I want to just make one note about those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Verse 33. They got up. This is those two disciples. They returned at once to Jerusalem. They were found. Fa- they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, saying, saying, "It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon." Then the two told what had happened. On the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Just want to make a quick note here before we keep reading. The two blind disciples become like the women. What do they do? Just like the women went and told the disciples that he was risen, they didn't like show a photograph, they didn't try to sketch a picture, they told them the message. In the same way, these now who have come to faith, they do the same thing. They go and tell. The disciples, he is risen. The power of the word. All right. So here we go. We pick up verse 36. Let's see what happens now with the 11. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch, touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Okay, twice here, twice here. Well, Paul's right there. Twice here. He shows up. He's right there. He speaks. Peace be with you. And what do they say? What do they think? It must be a ghost. Like, what's it going to take for the disciples to get it? His body is not there in the tomb. They don't believe then. He's walking beside two disciples, and they still don't see him. Now he appears and speaks and says, peace be with you. And they think he's a ghost. This idea that if Jesus or God did something that we thought would help our belief, no, no. We would find a way to disregard God revealing himself to us. There is something more needed than just seeing God do something miraculous. So here he is. He's a ghost. And then he says, hey, like, here are my hands and my feet. Like, what more do you want? Ghosts don't have hands and feet. Like, here, touch. And what? Luke records... They did not believe. He's standing right there. They did not believe. You can't see any more than this. And they didn't believe. So what's it going to take? Okay, insight. Here it is. I feel like we've seen this before. Seeing does not mean automatic faith. There's something more powerful than sight that grows faith, and that something is God's Word. That same insight we had with those two blind disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, the same principle in play there is in play with the eleven. So let's see what Jesus does. We know what he did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let's see what he does here. Verse 44. We'll read it all the way to the end of the chapter. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then, He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you, to my fa- send you what my Father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. When he, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they, started, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Luke ends his record here in, the, in his gospel. His record of the gospel. He ends it by telling us that the disciples stayed praising God. How did these guys who end in verse 53 praising God, how do they go from verse 45 where they didn't believe even when they, wa- they see the risen Jesus in front of them, hands and feet, like here they are, touch them. Verse 45, they didn't believe. How did they go from that unbelief to verse 53 where they just keep praising God? How did they go from seeing resurrected Jesus, unbelief, Praising God, full of great joy. Well, here's how it happened. Jesus opened their minds to the Scriptures. He didn't start shining, blazing uh, uh, some blazing white, some 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 magnificent display of his glory. He didn't just just browbeat them into believing with his power. He opened their minds what is written. He opened their minds to the word of God. So we come back to an insight we've already seen right here. Jesus points to the scriptures to reveal himself as the resurrected Messiah. It's through the power of God's word that the blind disciples finally come to faith. This whole record, this whole record of post-resurrection life is all about the power of God's word. How do you know he rose from the dead? Because it was written he would rise from the dead. It is, not, it is not that we just need to see him and we would believe. We could see the resurrected Jesus right here. And if you do not believe, you'll figure out a reason not to believe that. And in our day, it may not be that hard. It might, we just might call it a hologram. We might call him an imposter. We we might call we we might say he's 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 part of some conspiracy. This just isn't real. We find all kinds of reasons to not believe that this was the resurrected Jesus and what he would do to show us he was the resurrected Christ is he would open our minds to the scriptures. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. So I think right here. And Luke 24 is this massive application for us. And man, do we need it. Like, not just because we're in 2022. Like, we've always needed this application. But man, it hits us right here where we live. It's right here. We're going to put it up on the screen. When our feelings and our experiences are in conflict with God's word, always trust God's word. Always. Your feelings are like a roller coaster. They will change. They'll probably change multiple times at breakfast, much less much less a day, a month, years. Do not root your life on your desires, your emotions or even your thinking. because the mind is still broken. It's being renewed by God's spirit, but man, be careful not to trust the mind. Don't think you have the answers. You do not have all the answers. I do not have all the answers. It is God's word we lean on. So there are these moments where we think, man, God wants me to be with this other person and not my spouse. Know it. I know he's calling me to that person. No. Never does God call anyone to ever have an affair. Never. Ever. That just doesn't happen. That is counter to God's word. You can just take it to the bank. Your feelings are wrong. I don't even want to call them inappropriate. It's nothing to do about manners or etiquette. They're wrong. They're wicked. Or maybe more to the point, when you feel like your life is falling apart and you think God just must not love me. Where is God? God must not be here. If there was a God, he wouldn't let this happen. Our thinking can go a million directions, particularly in the context of pain and suffering. I'll never forget, you've heard me tell this story multiple times, so I don't want to overuse it, but I'll never forget when Tess and I were in the hospital, uh, just after Ava was born, and she, the, the nurse comes in and tells us that her lung has collapsed. Uh, she, was, she was born a little early, lung had collapsed, and so we thought, okay, what's, what are you going to do? And, you know, they had some treatments that they could do for her, and then uh, 36 hours later, they're back in the room again, her lung has collapsed again. We have one more treatment. If it doesn't work, we're not going to be able to save her. And in that moment, we're thinking, this, does not, this doesn't bode well. And we thought our daughter, we would lose our daughter. And, and there's a whole story about how we even came to have Ava. And so the idea of losing this little baby, baby just, 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 um, just ruined us. And we just cried there. And I'm not a crier. I, I cried when she was born, and I'm crying at this moment. Tess is sobbing. And here, and just right there in that moment, I can think: no matter what happens with this little girl, God is good. I don't feel like God's good. I don't feel like I don't feel like anything's good. But I know God's good because God's word said that God's good. So I'm going to stand there. And so I just I had to be right there. And you know, I told you this story: the moment where Micah, when he was seven weeks old, he contracted uh, RSV. And, and and so we're watching him through the night. His breathing can, becomes labored, and early in the morning, he stops breathing. And he stopped breathing for maybe it was a minute. It all blurred, and I remember holding Micah, and I remember planning his funeral. It's just really you know it's, you, when you get in these moments, time seems to stop. And I've done many funerals, and I'm just thinking I'm going to have to do my son's funeral. I'm literally I'm I'm thinking about it and I'm holding. He's not breathing. Test is screaming, we're calling 911, we've lost it, we've just lost our son, he's not breathing. And in that moment, as I'm playing his funeral, I know what I'm going to say at the funeral. It is, no matter how bad this is, God is good. God is good. I don't feel it, but I'm going to stand there. And you can just take those two stories, and maybe you have stories just like it, and maybe they're not nearly as dramatic. Maybe it's just you're just bored and life just seems to stink. And you think, well, where's God in all this? And your feelings are running contrary to what God's Word says about God. In those moments, you stand on God's Word every time. Because it's what is stable. Your feelings are not. Your thinking is often not. You stand on God's Word. We see this throughout the Scriptures, but there's this one passage. You know, I've shared it with you. This is another one I've shared with you multiple times. Actually, this is the passage that came to mind. When, when we got word that Ava may not make it. When I'm holding Micah, not breathing, playing his funeral. This passage comes to mind. And I think you'll see right here where Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk declares, even if everything else goes wrong, life falls apart and my emotions and my thinking go with it. I will stand on this truth no matter what else I feel. Or wherever else my thinking goes, I'm standing right here. This message right here, locked in. Probably Holy Spirit just locking it in. So I didn't just lose my mind in those two moments. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen. No cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. I didn't understand how that was, how, how he would be my strength. But I knew he would, like I just knew I had to stand on that scripture. Even if I didn't feel it and I didn't even know that it was true, I knew I was going to stand on it. And just this morning, I don't know if you're reading along on the, this uh, Bible recap reading plan that we're doing. Many of you are, are reading this uh, plan along with us. You can join anytime. I started it last year, halfway through. Uh, this morning, Psalm 43. Look at what David writes. Check this out. Maybe you've felt this before. I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. I mean, this is even when I feel discouraged, even when I feel sad, even when I feel depressed, even when I am in the lowest valley, I will praise God. I'm stand, my hope's there in God. Like that's that, often that's the only place you can stand. You can't stand on an election. You can't stand on social media. You can't stand on your appetites, your desires, your career path. The one thing you can stand on, guaranteed, is God's word. It's the thing that will last and will be the thing that creates the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more death. It was the word of God that birthed faith in the disciples. Not seeing the resurrected Jesus. It was the word of God proclaimed to them. That's where the power is. So just let me summarize it this way. Now, I have, I'm trying to like, um, maybe I should have just written, drop the mic, but I just put period. So hopefully you'll understand. Here. Faith in Christ grows in the soil of God's word. Period. That's it. Okay? Just take my headset off. Drop it. Like, that's it. Like, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop preaching. I still have some things to say. I'm just, just, the point is, you want greater faith? You and I got to be in God's Word. I'm not trying to be churchy. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this thing. I'm saying this is just reality. It's knowledge about the way life works. Faith grows in the soil of God's Word. Interestingly, Paul said it this way. Romans 10. I feel like we'll just go to the Word of God to get the Word of God tell us about the Word of God. He said this, Romans 17. Paul Paul wrote this. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. I just wonder if he pinned that if he had the echoes of the story of Luke 24 in his mind. Peter telling him, man, we just didn't believe. We saw him and we didn't believe. But when the word was opened, our faith blossomed. It just, it was the gift of God. Through the word of God, faith was there. Okay, so like one of the best ways that you and I can come into contact with God's word is gathering with Christians to worship. Okay? That's one of the best ways for us to learn how to read God's Word. Now, just, just recently, the American Bible Society put out their annual report, a report, um, uh, State of the Bible. And what they found was during the pandemic, some really bad things happened with Bible reading. Here's, here's what uh, one summary of the report said. The data said roughly 26 million people had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible in the last year. And one of the reasons... During this last year, 2021, that that many people stopped reading the Bible or read it much less was this. Here, here's what the report, the summary of the report. The dramatic change shows how closely Bible reading, even independent Bible reading, is connected to church attendance. When regular services were interrupted by the pandemic and related health mandates, it impacted not just the corporate bodies of believers, but also individuals at home. In short... The less you go to church, the less you read the Bible. That's the short, that's the short version. And it has tracked, it has proven true over this last year. The less people have been in church, the less they've been reading the Bible. Now, what's so fascinating is it's not just like by coming to church you'll be motivated to like read the Bible on Monday. It's this simple reality. I love this. Like it's just like this is almost too simple. When you come to church. You know what you get to interact with, come in contact with, listen to, read the Bible. So you can just guarantee if you show up here on a Sunday morning or you tune in online because you can't be here, okay, for various reasons. If you show up in this church or another church, a Bible-believing church, you show up on church on a Sunday, you guarantee you're reading the Bible at least once a week. And that is more than most people are doing. Like, just simple, like, just simple logic. Come to church, you're going to read the Bible. This morning, you just read a chapter of the Bible and a little bit more. There's like some gravy on top. You got a little bit more than just your one chapter. It is vital that you and I are gathering with Christians for worship because we need the word of God. And one of the reasons that Christians over the centuries have met together is to read God's word. That's what we do together. So if, for no, for, 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 uh, if you read the Bible at no other point, you show up on Sunday, you're going to read the Bible. You know how often people leave the ch- a church service and they walk away, for the most part, and say, man, I feel better. I just feel better. Do you know why you typically feel better and I feel better after gathering with Christians and hearing God's word? Because that's what God's word does. It will go out and it will not come back void. This is the promise in the scriptures. There's a reason you feel better, because you've come into contact with ultimate reality, and that's a great thing. And maybe it's led you to some conviction, and that's a really good thing, too, because it straightens up life. Gets you in line with where true happiness is. He is where the joy is. Okay. you got to get in on this Bible recap thing, y'all. I just made a reference to it. See all the people laughing? You who aren't laughing, I just judged you. All right, so um, it was my test. I do it every once in a while. All right, um, if you're new here, I'm just being sarcastic. Okay, um, kinda. Now let's um, let's let's take this to a next step. Just next step. I thought this thing over multiple times. Once again, and I thought, well, I just I gotta go with this one. And I know it's gonna sound churchy. I just know it. I know it's gonna seem like, well, that just doesn't seem like real life. Here we are. Next step: read the Bible more. I. I feel like after this, I've got to go with that. But here's the thing I want to say. What I'm not saying is, I'm not not saying be legalistic, you better open your Bible tomorrow, you better read a chapter, or God doesn't love you. That's not what's going on here. The goal here is come up with ways for reading the Bible more. So maybe that's like putting a Bible verse and putting a sticky note on your car, like in your car on the dashboard. Maybe that's one way. Maybe it's changing the home screen of your phone and you have a Bible verse on it. Maybe it's putting a reminder on your phone, a passage of Scripture. Maybe you will read uh, multiple chapters a day. Or maybe it's just, I'm going to get to church once a month and I'm going I'm to hear the Word of God. Like maybe you start there. The point is, do something that increases your Bible consumption here, okay? Okay. Maybe it's like I've never gone to the Sunday morning class. That's the one we do at 9 o'clock. You know what? I could get up and go at 9 a.m. I'm going to go there because they do the Bible and I want more Bible. Like, again, this isn't some legalism that just says do more stuff, more rules. It's drink more water. Refresh your soul. That's what this is about. Grow faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's what happened when the disciples who saw Jesus and didn't recognize him finally came to believe. It was when Jesus opened the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, now we just ask for faith to grow because we have have sat with your word. I will just entrust you with that. We pray that under the name of him who is risen, the Christ. Amen.